show If you'd like to hear the puppeteers And play the characters that you cheer So join us as we go, go, go Below the Frame On this episode of Below the Frame I am talking with the remarkable Debbie Spinney We get to learn all about Debbie and find out a little bit of what she experienced alongside her dear Muppet performer husband, Carol Spinney. We're also going to hear a very special Jerry story in a song, too. So, come on, it's time to go below the frame. Woo! Go, go, go below the frame. Welcome to Below the Frame. I am Matt Vogel, and... I feel like I say this every week, how excited I am for you to hear these little chats that I get to have, but this week is certainly no different. We have got legendary Sesame Street performer Carol Spinney's wife, Debbie, on the show today, and I am so looking forward to it. You know, Debbie was at Carol's side for most of his career on Sesame Street, and they did everything together. They were inseparable. And if you've seen the film I Am Big Bird, which I I hope that you have, you, you already know that, but hopefully today you're going to learn something more especially about Debbie, who uh, usually stayed out of the spotlight, but who you should know is just so kind and loving and and really just the perfect match for Carol. You know, you hear Muppet performers talk about being one big family, and that's true. And I can say that that Carol and Debbie, ever since I first started getting to know them, and I'm not exaggerating, they always treated me like family, seriously. And I treasure that relationship with both of the Spinnies, and I and I love them both. And I, you know, I think after this interview, you are also going to be in love with the Spinnies even more than you probably already were before this. So uh, let's get to it, huh? Let's go below the frame with Debbie Spinney. Debbie Spinney, welcome to Below the Frame. How are you, Deb? I'm good, Matt. Thanks so much. I'm very happy to be doing this. Well, I'm happy to have you here. You know, <laughs> I think yeah, no, it's going to be great. I think that this is going to be <laughs> it's going to be kind of different than the other chats that I've had with Muppet performers, you know, and writers and and such because yeah. because we're talking with you who yeah. you kind of saw and experienced everything through uh, well alongside your husband Carol. Who, if if listeners don't know who Carol Spinney is, I would be surprised. But you never know. So. Carol was the original performer of Big Bird yeah. and Oscar the Grouch on Sesame Street. And uh, and Debbie, you were by his side for most of that journey. So, That's right. Yeah, so like I said, it's going to be a little different than our uh, other interviews, but I'm, I'm super excited about it. We're going to try to hit places that maybe we don't always get to or maybe aren't as well known to people. And in doing that, I think mm-hmm. we should start with your story, Debbie. Because I think some people want to hear about where, you oh, know, gosh. yeah, it's fine, you know. And then we're going to see where it intersects with Carol's story, okay? Because, you know, okay. if people want to uh, see sure. Carol's specific <laughs> journey, they can watch the brilliant film, uh, I Am Big Bird, right? Yes, we loved loved that that project <laughs> happened. It was really beautifully done. And, you know, Copper Pot Pictures were, they, they couldn't have done it better, really. And and what, of course, to for us, we got surprised. And even they got surprised because... What started out to be a story about Carol and Sesame Street, uh, by the end of you know looking through everything we've ever taped and photographed and you know written about for three years, they they came to us and said we didn't realize it, but we really were we were doing a love story. Yeah, and that made us go oh <laughs> oh know? yeah, like that was really very sweet because that's how we kind of 
you know, that is who we were. And we were, like you said, we were, you know, I've been with him since almost the beginning, um, you know, of when he first started with Sesame Street. So uh, it was lovely to, to have that out there. But you're right. I mean, you know, obviously they're not going to talk about what my background is in the story <laughs> of Carol's background. But um, I was born in Brooklyn, New York, and first of six children. Um, but by the th- after my sister, my next sister, two years later, uh, they moved out to Long Island. And my mom, uh, Joan, and my dad, Gene Gilroy, uh, he was a musician. And he taught every kid in the entire neighborhood in New Hyde Park um, piano and then accordion. But he always said when the Beatles came along, nobody wanted to play <laughs> right. the accordion That's anymore. Right. They wanted yeah. guitar. So he, he kind of lost, he lost those, uh, those clients, yeah. I guess you want to call them. He also taught in, uh, in a junior high. And um, so, you know, like I said, I'm the oldest of six kids and, uh, you know, lovely home. Uh, the, the, the grade school was our backyard, so we, we could roll out of bed and go to school. It was great. <laughs> Very convenient um, for late risers. And, you know, all this played in, oh, yeah, you know, we would just, we just threw something on and ran out the door, but that was pretty cool. So Can I ask you, Debbie, what kind of things did you do as a yeah. kid? Well, we all uh, had an instrument that we played, you know, in the school what did, band. What did you play? Certainly because of my dad. Oh, you're not going to lie. This is hysterical. And it's not the one I should have played, but my dad played the glockenspiel in the army band. So so I chose the glockenspiel and I wanted to be in the parade, you know, with the the, the cape and the marching band and all that. So I did, but I didn't realize that that really wasn't a good instrument for me because even though I could play it, it was too loud and everybody noticed me and I couldn't stand uh, All you need is one glockenspiel and it's, a, it's louder than the whole darn band. Is. And I just was so intimidated that I was going to make a, you know, I was going to hit the wrong note and everyone would know it. So really I needed an instrument that would blend in a little more. So that wasn't too What, what should you have played? But, well, I should have really concentrated on the piano because uh, I well. think that was my dad's and we all played the piano, but it was a little bit more like the cobbler's children going barefoot. Like he'd teach right. all day. And then, you know, we'd get home from school. He'd get out of, you know, his 10th student in a row. And we'd go, do you want to, you know, do you want to have a lesson? And we'd go, no. And he'd say, well, okay, good. I don't really feel like it. Anyway. <laughs> and also, you so know, all- if, if you were to roll a piano down the street in the marching band, that was, that's also probably going to get <laughs> a lot of attention. Good. No, it would have been tough. Yeah, it would have been <laughs> yeah. kind of difficult. Um, I suppose in, in junior high, I took up the violin and I, I wish I'd stuck with that. But once again, I, uh, you know, this was probably just peer pressure. And my best friend was like, oh, that is, a, you know, that's such an uncool instrument to be playing. And I was like, yeah, but it's like, I thought it was cool. No, it wasn't. According to all my, my supposedly cool <laughs> friends, they said, ah, drop that. And so I've, I've, you know, I took their advice and I regret that to this day because I think the violin is a beautiful, oh, it is, yeah. beautiful instrument, yeah. you know. It's a very versatile instrument. Well, it is. Oh, I love it. And, and I really fell madly in love with it when Carol and I started to go to Ireland every year because it seems that every kid in Ireland does play an instrument and a lot of them choose the violin. And as you see, you know, when you go to the old pubs and you see everybody sitting around, there's always a fiddle. And so I didn't realize that it didn't have to just be the orchestra playing with the, you know, the, the, the classical music, which I love, but I didn't, I didn't understand that that could be, you know, that could, that could get me into some cool places right. with the violin. But um, yeah, so that, that was a mistake. You know, that, that's one of those regrets. Why don't you we take it up now? I can. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Matt, for saying that. <laughs> I really should. I have, we have two pianos in the house. So I, you know, fiddle about with that and, uh, 
uh, you know, you're right. I really, I really should. What, what, what the heck else <laughs> yep. am I doing? I think somebody said that something like that to Carol once that they said that, Oh, I'm 50 years old and I want to play the piano, but you know, it's going to take me 10 years before I'll be any really good at it. And I'll be 60. And Carol said, yeah, but you're going to be 60 anyway. So why not be 60 and play the piano? What? It's never, it's never too late. Oh, that's good advice. I <laughs> so, love that advice. That's so really I great. Should, I should, yeah. So oh, I, I guess Carol, I should take Carol. those words to heart and do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. So other than that, you know, being near the schoolyard, we, we did a lot of sports and mm -hmm. climb trees and all that kind of stuff. We were always outside. So you get six kids, you want to kick them out of the house. <laughs> get out, <laughs> go play, you know. So yeah. when you were growing up, were you pushed yep. to any type of career or any kind of education? What did, what was, what was that like? Uh, not not really. I was thinking about that the other day. I mean, uh, let's see, we're talking the late mid to late 60s. I graduated in 69. Um, college didn't come up all that much. Number one, I suppose it was uh, the, the, the money that would cost to go to college. My father being, you know, a piano teacher, we, we'd had a beautiful house and we always had food on the table and, you know, no complaints, but we didn't really have the money to send kids off to college. And I must tell you that in those days, I don't think I had more than one teacher even question, was I going to go to college? Like I was the girl mm -hmm. and what are you going to do next? You know, and really in my mind, I always wanted to travel. I just, I was always in, you know, kind of infatuated with, I had to think I was born with wanderlust, which Carol always said he was too, mm -hmm. which at least we got to fulfill that. Oh, yeah. You know, we, we traveled an awful lot. Right. Yeah. But um, I always thought I, I wrote in about being a stewardess to whoever you were, wrote then Pan Am or something. And they uh, I they asked certain questions and I told them I wore glasses and I tried contacts and they just didn't work for me. And they said, well, we don't take we want we don't want anybody who wears glasses. Really? So I was like, oh, gee whiz. <laughs> yeah. That was way back <laughs> when when you had to be like cookie cutter, uh -huh. you know, perfect. And. Um, I wasn't, so they did, they kind of turned me down and I thought, all right, well, that's, that, I'm not going to be a pilot. So, <laughs> but I never even imagined I could be a pilot. But, um, anyway, so I thought, you know what I really want to do is I want to go to New York city because I love New York city and I want to get a job and just earn money. I just wanted to earn money so that then I could travel someday. You know, yeah. it was just, I, I was eager to get out in there. I love the idea of being a Manhattan girl, you know, and all this kind of stuff. But um, so I didn't really think too much about, you know, I graduated with honors and all that kind of stuff, but I wasn't really pushed towards college uh, at that point. So when so did you, that's what I did. I went to New York you, and I got a job. You went to New York, you moved to New York or did you commute from Long Island? No, I didn't move to New York. I, uh, that I, well, I certainly couldn't have afforded that right away. Yeah. Anyway. It was, I lived at home and New Hyde Park wasn't so far out. It was like a bus to the the first stop in the, the railroad, you know, the, mm -hmm. the subway. And then that was in Jamaica, Queens. And then I would just, uh, you know, take the, the train in and walk a couple of blocks to work. So um, I had a couple of little jobs before I had Sesame Street. But, you know, at 21, I went and I, you know, as the story goes, I had two interviews. It was freezing cold in January. <laughs> I had the tiniest little mini skirt and my, my legs were like, frozen toothpicks and um the wind was howling through the, the canyons as they call them and i had a job offer for a secretary uh for sesame street and a, a, a assistant to a manager at the playtex bra oh. factory <laughs> so i said all right i'll i'll try for both of those the the uh the, the the assistant manager job obviously paid a little bit more money and you know maybe maybe had a little bit of different kind of uh you know 
commands on, on what I had, what I could do, but well, how could you, I went to Sesame street and it was like a no brainer. I was like, of course I have to work here. This is like, geez, wow. Sesame street. Can, can so I ask you, I just took that job. So can and, I ask you, Debbie, Yeah. you obviously knew of Sesame street. You had heard of Sesame street. I did. I did. And yeah. You, I mean, I knew of Sesame street. I didn't really watch it much. Cause I didn't, my, even my littlest brothers and, and sisters were a little old at that point for the Sesame street stuff, yeah. but I still would turn it on. Cause everybody, it was fun. You know, it was love. I thought big bird was adorable. Uh-huh. I loved Oscar the grouch <laughs> and uh, you know, I was, I loved them all. I mean, I just thought Sesame street was great. And I, and to me it was kind of like, with my father being a musician and my mom would sing with them before she had six kids and couldn't go out anymore and, and be, you know, the singer in the band. Yeah. Um, uh, we kind of, I kind of grew up feeling like I lived in a showbiz kind of world with my dad, yeah. you know, because not only did he do, um, you know, the lessons, but on weekends he had a band and he would play gigs and weddings and, uh, you know, parties and everything. So we were always surrounded by entertainment. Right. And, I loved it. I, I mean, I thought my dad was a star. You know, I, we, we, we were, we all, all six of us always go, yeah, our parents were like, you know, they were the star parents, you know, everybody else had regular parents, right. but uh, yeah. <laughs> it was just, you know, we, we thought the world of the whole existence. So I think that that suited my, uh, just my personality because I, I felt like I grew up in sort of in show business, even though it, you know, technically wasn't, you know, really show business, but I guess it is, it's the littler end of it. Um, Did- so I was very happy to be, Involved with a television show. That's cool. Did you, you know, had you heard of good. Jim Henson before uh, Sesame Street or had you ever seen him on appearances? Uh, I had on, I did. I saw him on uh, the Ed Sullivan show because mm-hmm. we used to watch that every Sunday and he was on quite a bit actually. Yeah. And I can remember, you know, laughing along with my parents. They would like, roll on the floor when they'd blow something up or pull someone's <laughs> nose off or whatever. Yeah. You know, because Jim was just so good at doing that. Yep. <laughs> so, that's how I heard of Jim. But I mean, I, I don't even know that when I first got the job at the children's television workshop, mm-hmm. um, if I really associated the fact that, oh, that's that guy from Ed Sullivan, yeah. you know, is this person in Sesame Street. I, 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 it wasn't really in, in the, the front of my mind thinking of it that way. It was just, wow, this is, this is show business. Yeah. And I really just loved the idea that it would be involved with something to do with it. You know? Yeah, and so at that job at CTW, job. what uh, what were you doing? I was in the community education services department. I'm not sure they still call it that, but um, and I had like one uh, boss particularly above me, so I kind of worked for him. His name was Andy Aguilar, and he was Emilio Delgado's oh. uh, best friend. So I got to know Emilio very well because he's always hanging out in in, in uh, Andy's office, and I was his Andy's secretary. But they did things like, um, besides just regular secretarial work for, for Andy, uh, they did out, outreach programs and market research. Um, occasionally they would steal me away. And because they liked the way I, I could print pretty neatly, I would actually write cue cards for the, you know, for Sesame Street. I, that was oh. my claim to fame. Uh, <laughs> um, just because they liked my yeah. lettering. But uh, so stuff like that, you know, it was very interesting. It was a lot of, you know, it was it was a lot of hard work and certainly not the glamour side of Sesame right. street. You know, you're really, you're looking at the background yeah. stuff and trying to, uh, you know, doing research and making sure everything's working, which was very interesting. But um, my, my next step there was going to be uh, moving over to be in charge of the children who were hired to be on the show. Yeah. 
So that was kind of get, getting me now over to the studios rather than in the, the offices, yeah. you know, at uh, Lincoln Center. But it, it never happened because some guy named Carol Spinney came along and stole me away. <laughs> so let me ask you about that. <laughs> so, well, first, the rest is yeah, how long did you yeah. work at CTW before you remember seeing Carol for the first time? Um, I started working in January of 72. Mm -hmm. And I probably saw, uh, my desk was situated so that I could look down the long hallway that went down to Joan Cooney's mm -hmm. office. So all the, like the big, the big wigs were all like in a row. Right. And uh, so I knew that that was, you know, that was executive row. And once in a while I would see this, this guy who would like almost appear to be bopping down the hall <laughs> with long red hair at the time. Um, and he would just kind of float or bop down the hall. And I just to think someone said, oh, that's Big Bird. And I was like, oh, my God, he's so cute. And so so I knew who he was, but I didn't see him a lot because he didn't really have much reason to come over to the offices, you know, other than, you know, he was always on the, the set. And then it was six months after I started there that he this is that story that everybody knows if you want me to well, tell yeah, I, mean, you know. I guess it, I was uh, going to say a lot of us have heard the story about how this happened everybody knows this from story. Carol's perspective, how it happened, yeah. but is, I want to see, oh, and I'm pretty okay. sure that it probably matches up, but I want to hear your version of it. And it somebody did does. ask Liana, uh, Reeve, R I V E from, uh, social media said, what was it like to meet Carol for the first time? Well, so to meet him for the first time, I'm sitting at my desk typing away and I look up and that same hallway, I see him coming my direction, not away from me. And I see him looking straight at me and I'm, I'm thinking, oh my God, he's coming right over to me. Well, okay, <laughs> you know, be cool, be cool. And uh, he comes up to me, very, so innocent and so sweet and everything. And he, you know, introduces himself. I introduce myself and he said, um, I, you know, I hope you don't mind, but I, I was wondering if you might like to have dinner with me tonight. And of course, my insides were like doing flip flops because I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, he's actually asking me out on a date. And I'm like, ah, um, but of course, um, what most people already know is that at that point, I was married to my high school boyfriend that I dated for four years. I'm, we got married when I was 20 mm -hmm. um, and I was it wasn't going too well. I will say that only because he was he was a great musician, but he uh, and a nice guy, but he just he didn't have the confidence to go out and get a job. So I was the only one working and we didn't really have anything. And it was, it was, it was a struggle. Yeah. So it, that wasn't going too good, but I was trying to, you know, determined to try to make it work. So when he said, would you like to go out to dinner? I, you know, smiled and I said, thank you so much. I'm, you know, that's very nice of you, but I really, I'm due home because I have to cook dinner for my husband mm. and Carol's face just kind of like, Oh, Oh my God. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I was like, no, how would you know? How would you know? Really? It's okay. Um, I, you know, thank you for asking. I'm flattered. So he was like, Oh, okay. Okay. And then he kind of walked away. I could tell he felt terrible. I think he was embarrassed. And, um, and then that was that. And I thought, okay, well, at least I, I ran, you know, when I got home, I called up my mom and dad. I said, you won't believe what just happened. <laughs> uh, so everybody was like all excited. So six months went by, and then Sesame Street was throwing their annual Christmas party, uh, which was basically drinks and hors d'oeuvres before dinner time uh, at Tavern on the Green in in the park. And um, I had never been there before, and it was, I was very excited to be able to go to that. And so when I walk in, I see Carol across the room talking with, I think, like Emilio and a bunch of the cast, I guess. 
And I'm like, oh, there he is. I'll go say hi. Cause you know, obviously he's going to remember me. <laughs> and um, I go over and he, he's big smile and hi, how are you? And I'm thinking, okay, well, that's so nice. It's so sweet. And we just started talking and everybody else is chiming in and he's, he, he kind of leans over to me. He says, listen, when this, when this thing's over, how about you stay and I'll take you out to dinner here at Tavern on the Green. And I, I guess in my head, I, I, I didn't know what to think because I know now I'm thinking, well, he knows I was married. But mm -hmm. also by that time, six months later, through the grapevine uh, of, you know, work, the workplace, let's say, yeah. the uh, water cooler talk is that my, you know, my marriage was, you know, not doing well. And, and I was thinking, you know, maybe we really shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. So I thought maybe he heard that it wasn't going well and he's just going to be bold and ask me out again. And um, so I said, well, uh, thank you so much, but I got to go and, uh, you know, got to go home to so my husband. He goes, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, my gosh. Oh, apologetic. And then I left. So three months later, <laughs> which is when I was definitely the marriage was uh, pretty much over with, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just let's part friends. Um, I was hired by Sesame Street to sing. No, not well, I was singing, but I was there to, to um, help children sing on a live album that was going to be the cast you know, the Muppets and the cast and children. Yeah. And uh, so we were in a recording studio. Now, meanwhile, you have to remember, you know, my hair went from a pixie the first time to a little bit below the ears the second time and now a little towards my shoulders the third time. So, and I'll, you see why I say that later. But um, anyway, so Carol's there and I think, well, geez, he's asked me out twice already. So um, I'm going to go over and I'll be, you know, extra smiley because now I know I could be free if he asks me out right. again, you know, for the future. So sure, we hit it off like crazy. He acted like, oh, my God, I'm so happy to, to see you, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I'm, we just went on and on. And, and he says, I would love to take you out to dinner, but we're going on tour for a couple of months. So um, would you mind if I called you back when, when I get home from the tour? And so I said, no, that would be great. Because I knew by then I'd be all finished, ready to, all right. free as a bird, <laughs> so to speak. So, um, so the two months went by, he calls me up, we go out to dinner. Uh, meanwhile, I was on a t television quiz show, won all sorts of prizes, blah, blah, blah. Wait a second. Um, Wait a second. Hold on. Hold on. You were on a quiz no, show and no, you won a whole bunch of prizes. So let's just, just for a second, we'll come yes, back to yes. Carol. <laughs> what quiz show were you on? Uh, I yeah, I know. Oh, I know. Wait, I was on a, a quiz show called three on a match. The host was Bill Cullen, who was very mm -hmm. popular back then. And it was one of those shows uh, that the, uh, they'd actually held it not too far down the, the street from Sesame Street, like on Broadway, pretty close. And I went to my lunch hour and you had to take a written test, 32 questions, and you can only get two wrong. And they were like um, multiple choice, uh, all kinds of trivial, tri trivia questions, you know, like uh, what ships crashed with the Andrea Doria? What's the nutmeg state? What's, what's a Zephyr? What blah, blah, blah. You know, so I got, I got two wrong, which means I made it. And then they called me back and I went on the show. You had to, you had to, um, it was half luck because you're only just turning over numbers on a board and you get three in a match, you get that prize. But in order to do that, you had to answer a lot of questions. And I think one of the ones I won on was the Bible. And I must, I'm not saying I haven't read the Bible, but in those days when you took the subway or when you were a young girl, you, you found that you were bothered a lot by certain mm -hmm. types of people who would oh, no. press up against you. And uh, someone said, well, if you read the Bible when you're on the train, they'll leave you alone. So I got myself, I had a Bible. So I brought the Bible with me and I read the Bible every day oh. and nobody ever bothered me again. 
And so the winning question was about the Bible. I had to answer four questions about what, you know, what chapter was this and who said that and who, who begat who or whatever. And I answered them all right. And I remember Bill Cullen going, I can't believe you got that right. <laughs> <laughs> because he didn't expect that I would know, know it so well. But um, that, that served me well, that little hint about the yeah, Bible. Well, what what so, kind of prizes um, did you win? What did, you won twice. Well, the first... I won twice because you had to be you had to play the game three times okay. in order to win, and it took a day to do it. So it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I won um, when I won when I beat these two people on Wednesday. I won a car, which I had no car. I'd never had a car. Oh my gosh! Because don't forget, I was married to someone who never worked. So I had I was lucky. I had a jar of peanut butter. Right. Um, so I had a car, a colored television, which I never had a colored television, um, a living room set, which I still have some pieces that are in this house right now. Wow. And we love them. Uh, just some extra pieces. I, I gave the, the rest. I sold the rest. Um, and what was the, oh, a stereo system. I didn't have that either. So That's amazing. Um, oh, forgot one oh. thing. An all-expense-paid trip to Switzerland Ooh. for two. Oh. Now, I had never been anywhere. And remember, now I'm like, I'm going to travel. Right. You just, that's <laughs> so, what you wanted to so do. You wanted and to travel. I, that was it. So now I had this trip to Switzerland. So then I, I got two new contestants, and then I beat them as well. That was the following Monday. And I won a trip to Hawaii for two, for all expenses paid for a week, which was great. Yeah. Uh, a pool table I sold. <laughs> uh, a bedroom set I gave to my mom and dad. A fur coat. I didn't even take it because it was the ugliest thing you ever saw. <laughs> and um, uh, so, Oh, and what the, the very important thing was $1,000 in cash because – if you don't have the money to pay the taxes, you can't have the prizes. And I had no money. So the $1,000 is what the taxes were on the $11,000 worth of prizes. Oh, my gosh. So that made me, you know, that way I got the yeah. prizes. Oh, that is really so, cool. Right, fact, when Carol used to go to work, I know. It was, I was like, I felt like a star all of a sudden because every, the, every, every office at CTW had a television set. And all day for six days – that was on every TV in the place. I was, I just, I felt so, you know, like, oh, look at me. Uh, but um, it's funny because when Carol and I were first starting to date, and he would come to visit me at, at work, you know, you have to go through security, and they, and and he, uh, they would say, oh, we know why you're coming, and he goes, yeah, I want to see, uh, you know, Debbie Spinney, and he, and he, they'd say, we know you're just marrying her for her prizes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> say, <funny>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. So, um, so that's. That was that story. And that was right before I met Carol at the recording studio. Um, and he said, you know, in two months, he's going to call me. So he did call me and we went, he took me on our first date, uh, June, uh, I, I, well, that's June 4th. That was, that's why we celebrate that anniversary mm -hmm. so much, June 4th. Um, and he, we, we really fell in love on the first date, honest and true. Where did you go? What did you and, do on the first date? Uh, he took me to Tavern on the Green. Oh, that's, he was going to take you to Tavern on the and Green. And I right. couldn't ever have gone to Tavern on the Green. Yeah, because we had met there. Now, you'd think I would have mentioned to him, like, oh, remember I saw you at Christmas uh -huh. here? But I never did. I think I didn't want to talk about the time when I was saying no all along. I was, I was kind of, yeah. you know, I wanted to start fresh. Like, I don't want to talk about the past. Right. So let's not bring that up. But what I didn't realize was that, when uh, he asked me to marry him 13 days later, so we got engaged 13 days later on Broadway. He picked me up and swung me around. He said, you will marry me, won't mm -hmm. you? And I was like, oh, my God, yes. <laughs> and so, so that was that. And then I had – then, of course, once we were engaged, I was going to come up and live in his house in the country 150 miles away, <laughs> so I couldn't keep my job anymore. So I worked until mid-July – 
And this, like I said, that was the beginning of June. So I worked till mid-July. And then um, we went on our trip to Switzerland. We took the trip. But we, we, we kind of padded it a little bit so we could, you know, we rented a car and we just drove all over Europe, which was probably the, my favorite trip I've ever done because it was like the hungry right. years, you know. It was just, you know, we, could, we couldn't afford anything and yet everything was perfect. And we saw, we, you know, we just, we just saw so much. But when we were, and the, the, the one week that we had in Switzerland, of course, that was, a, a, they were giving us big bottles, of, expensive bottles of wine and food and all that. And, <clears throat> excuse me, so the first day I said to Carol, I want to, raise my glass to you. And I, I've, I've got to make a toast because, you know, I just got to make a toast. So he's like, Oh, happy. Like, Ooh. And so <clears throat> I said, I want to, I want to make a toast to your persistence. And he said, what does that mean? <laughs> and I was like, you know, because you, you know, you were, you were persistent. You never gave up. You always came back. And he says, I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. And I was like, you know, you asked me out at my desk and then you asked me out at Christmas and then you asked me out in the recording studio and he just looked so dumbfounded, and he just said, "You mean you were all those girls?" Yeah. And I, I just was like, "What?" Because of your haircut, yeah, he had no you, idea you had that to... he asked. Because of my hair getting longer, and I think very importantly, because I was yes. in three different places. Had I been at that same desk, it probably would have not have happened that way. But I was always in another place, so you know, just. Uh, I don't know. Uh, he always was. He was always surprised because he said, "I'm such an observant person, being an artist and everything." Yeah. And he really is. He he just you know he could close his eyes and draw anybody he just met, but he never knew it was me. And I think that's, so, that's really. I just funny. love that story because I'm the only girl he ever asked out. Yeah, I, I love it. <laughs> and, and the thing is, what he you know, there was clearly something about you that he that kept making yeah, him come I back guess. to you. Even though he may not have realized <laughs> yes. it was you all of those times, right. which I love, I love yeah, it. That, that's right. I, I, he just, I know, I love that story because I, I just love that all three girls were me. <laughs> <laughs> so, but after that, you know, um, I moved up here with him, and of course, we would commute to Sesame Street. And in those days, I think it was almost seven months a year. You know, it was like 110 shows, new yeah. shows happening. So, and of course, Big Bird and Oscar at that point were the stars yes. of the show. So he was. He was really in almost every scene, and then every night he would have two to three hours, which I'm sure you now know, of homework to just get the script cut up to get inside a Big Bird, and yeah. you know that whole origami thing. So let's I, talk I about know. that a little do bit. Do I do too? a version of it, but I yeah, also okay. ask them to shrink the okay. script for me so that I can put it in with me because I can still read uh, pretty close up and real small. Yeah, little tiny. But uh, yeah. so, can tell me real yeah. quick about yeah. for people that don't know. Uh, the origami script making, what would Carol do? He would get a script. Now, uh, maybe I'll give a little bit of background. So inside Big Bird, you wear a, yeah. a monitor on your chest. And Carol's was flat to his chest and very small, like a very small little window. I don't know, like a two-inch, very small screen. But he would yeah. also have the script true, inside yeah. with him, and it would be Velcroed uh, to the front of Big Bird. But, you know, it's like pages and pages right. of dialogue. So, Debbie, how did Carol get that dialogue inside the bird with him? That was, yeah, that's, it's amazing, actually. Um, first, he would uh, read through the script, and as he was reading it, he would use a black magic marker and outline all his lines, you know, and so that they would jump off the page. And then the trick, the tricky part, really, was having to get the, the line before his line 
and the line after his line, just so he'd know when to come in. Because mm -hmm. you can't just put your lines. You don't know what anybody's <laughs> yeah, saying. No cues. So you just really basically, no cues. So he would just cut it down into little bits and pieces. You know, he'd had the big roll of scotch tape and staples and, you know, the little table in front of him every night in front of the TV mm -hmm. and um, just trying to make it up. And then, you know, figuring out where they were going to, how they were going to block it and then how they would cut. So, you know, okay, I can put this piece in for, for this five minutes or 10 minutes and then take it out, put the next piece in, you know, so it, it, it came down to being kind of a, a work of art really, but it was so much work. Yeah. You know, I mean, at least with Oscar, you know, you can paste it up on the inside of the can, and there it is. But but with Big Bird, it's, uh, you know, it's that, just, that's a Yeah, thing. not a lot of room inside <laughs> so. Big Bird. Not a lot of room. You'd no, think there would a be lot a lot of room. room. Everything's, as you know, it's kind of glows yellow. Yeah. No, there really isn't. And, yeah. So, so uh, you know, it's it's part, yeah, it of, his, the, part of the art. It was, hard, it was his origami, <laughs> his scriptigami or something like that. I can't remember what... Cryptogami. Yeah. And he would yeah, also he Yeah, script origami. And he also did this really cool thing. He would take the I think guess it was the cover page to the script and he would I think he would fold it over yes. and he'd write he would write he would draw the the script number whatever it was 2352 or whatever and then yes. he would draw something. He would Oscar Big Bird, he would have there would be some sort of drawing on his script oh. always, right? Yes. And everybody, yes, always. And everybody kind of had their eye mm -hmm. on it. Like, Ooh, maybe I'll get that <laughs> yes. one. <you> know? like, <laughs> and of course I have, I have oodles of yeah. oodles here in this house. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, any pad that was lying around or uh, yeah, this, he just, he, he loved to draw so much that I've, I literally have seen him drawing in his sleep. Like if I had put a pen in his hand and a paper in front of him, I think I could have had a picture. Wow! <laughs> because his hand was going, like, yeah, you know, just like he was drawing. In his sleep. And, and whenever he sat anywhere, he if we went to a restaurant, he would draw on the napkin. He would draw and give it to the waitress or the waiter. Um, you know, so people all over the world have things that he would just just draw, and of course, it's usually Big Bird or Oscar, mm -hmm. and um, and they're like little treasures just spread around the. The they earth, are. Yes, they are. Travel. They're all over the world. Absolutely yeah, all over the world. They really are. We'll be back with more from Debbie Spinney in a few minutes. But first, we have a very special Jerry story that comes to us today from Dave Goals. Dave? Oh, I don't think I could begin to express uh, adequately Jerry Nelson's character. It was just as rich and complex as his voice. He was an amazing person, absolutely unique. There was never a Jerry Nelson before, and there'll never be one again. I'll just tell one story. It's pretty inadequate to capture this guy, but uh, it was 1974, and the Muppets had gone to London to appear on a TV special featuring um, Herb Alpert and the TJB, Tijuana Brass. So Jerry and I and Jim and Frank were rehearsing in, I think it was the carpenter shop, because there were sets around. And uh, during a break, Jerry went over to the back of one of the sets, and I, I saw him pull a little knot out of the wood framing. It was about half an inch diameter and an inch long. And he brought it over to me and handed it to me. And I said, what, what's this? He said, that is a knotty problem. And I knew that the game was on, because there was a long-standing Muppet tradition of people, pairs of people, handing artifacts back and forth between each other. 
the idea was that you had to slip it to the other person when they weren't aware. And, of course, if you didn't have it, you were trying very hard not to get it. And if you had it, you were trying very hard to figure out how to slip it to the other person. Well, that went on and on and on. Jerry and I passed that knot back and forth for years. Finally, I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll see if I can end the game. Maybe I can package it up in a way that he'll keep it. So I made a beautiful little wooden box, and I lined it with velvet with a little recess that the knot just fit into. And I wrapped it up and sent it to him as a birthday present. And I never got it back. But that game had gone on for about 20 years. And uh, it was just one little thing that he did when I first got there to sort of welcome me into the group. It was quite a privilege to be engaged in a game with Jerry Nelson. I treasured it then, and I always will. When Jim Hansen passed away in 1990, Jerry Nelson wrote a tribute for him that he read at Jim's memorial at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine. It was called Floyd's Lament. It was written from the perspective of Floyd Pepper, the bass player of Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. A few months later, I received a copy of this poem in the mail. Jerry had had a calligrapher render it just beautifully, and I had it framed, and it's been on my wall now for 30 years. I'm going to read it for you. Floyd's Lament. Fearless leader, Dr. Dog, toothsome piano man, playing your joyous song of is, was, and will be. Remembering always the fun, silly, poke, 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 Bert, he, he, he. Fearless leader, Mr. Hands Open Wide, sharing insights of joy and love. Here, will you sip? Will you feast? There is plenty for all. Fearless leader, whim of steel. You've convinced me, convincing John. Cantus, I hear your magic flute, whispering and echoing through the caves of my imagination. Fearless leader, green flippered gentleness. Fill my dreams with your visions of unexplored possibilities. Shine on, shine on eternally bright in our hearts and minds. Fearless leader. Thank you, Dave. Coming up in a bit, we'll hear a song from Jerry. But now, back to the show. We're back with Debbie Spinney. That's something that we didn't really talk about with Carol because, you know, just kind of seeing Carol through your lens, but he did, he was an artist. He was a, a, I mean, not only as a Muppet performer, but he was his own artist. He had his own uh, uh, style and uh, his own uh, artistic way of, of creating. And he would, he would draw, like you said, he would sketch things, he would paint he would do all kinds of things. Yep, it was that's right. I think he did. He, yeah, he did it all. He really did. And he and he drew before he puppeted because he started drawing when he was six years old. And I even have some of the things that he did when he was like six, seven, eight. Wow. And they're incredible. Yeah. They're really, really good. And and of course, then he started. Puppetry came into his life when he was about. I think he saw his first show when he was about six in kindergarten, but he didn't do anything about it till he was about eight. Um, but drawing, I think, was his was really closer to his heart and soul. He loved performing and he definitely 
was meant to be a puppeteer as opposed to being a, an actor who's out there because he 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 had that shyness about mm-hmm. him. You know, it's not like look at me, look at me. It's look at my character. Yeah. Um, but withdrawing, it, it just came so naturally to him. His mother was a great artist. Uh, his two children are great artists. They, it's in the blood for sure. Mm. His mother's father was a great artist. So um, he drew all the time and he, he probably drew more than he painted because paint takes more setup. It takes more space. You can't be as sloppy. <laughs> you right. know, like if you drop it, it ruins the floor yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, so um, and I, I cherish the paintings that I have because they're much fewer and far between than the drawings, which are thousands of them. And I've been having the, uh, you know, it's not, it, I'm, it's the time since he's gone, you know, obviously what I'm doing is going through a lot of things and cause our house is big and it's got 50 years of memorabilia yeah. in it and it's wonderful, but I'm sorting, not getting rid of, but sorting besides scripts and, and, uh, letters and fan mail and pictures i am now going through he would he would draw something while he, while he was just sitting around and he'd stick it on a shelf <laughs> and i'd be and i usually i'm either right over him watching because i'm in awe of watching it happen but if i wasn't and I, he didn't happen to remember to say oh look what i did it would i it would be on a shelf so i'm going through things now <laughs> where i'm pulling out wow and i'm going what is this and I'm finding these treasures. Oh, that's so great. I've even found love letters. Uh, like, it's like all of a sudden I find a love letter that he wrote that I don't remember he gave to me. So, you know, and I found in my diary, you know, little notes saying, you know, someday, you know, just remember you'll never be alone. And little things that he would write to me that I never knew were there. But it's like he's talking to mm-hmm. me. And I, of course, I'm, you know, I cry, but I also feel, I feel like he came and gave it to me. Yeah. You know, they're wonderful. They're the best, the wonderful love letters and beautiful. And I, I don't know if I told you, but on our anniversary last year, the one I told you, June 4th, we always mm-hmm. celebrated. I was, of course, it was my first one without him. And I was beyond myself. I, I didn't know what I was going to do. And so I took out my old phone, my number three, <laughs> and um, which I still have. And I, I just looked through it because I thought, well, there maybe there's something on here I just want to see. And so I see this blank square on the phone. I was like, what the heck is that? It's black, you know? So now Carol was not um, uh, very good with electronics. So I always knew that he didn't even know how to turn the phone on, let alone do anything with it. So I wasn't thinking anything. But um, (laughs) so I pushed the button and it's still dark, but it's Carol. And it's apparently very late at night. I must be sleeping. And he has figured out how to turn this darn thing on. And he says, I... I, uh, I've been, I've been lying. I think it's lying here, I think, or maybe sitting here, um, trying to write a song for Deborah. And I, 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 this is it. It's called uh, a song for Deborah. And then he starts singing it and it is so beautiful. The melody is, it's awesome. It's, I, I, I was hysterical crying because he's singing to me a song that he wrote to me that I didn't even know about. This is a, a thing I, the last hour I've been singing to myself. A little composed song called A Song for Deborah. (laughs) 
Like that. And then he, he finishes his little, you know, whatever it is, and he goes, uh, like that. Like just, <laughs> and I did it. So then my son, Ben, my, who plays the piano, he's, he's made a beautiful rendition of it. And it's so pretty. <gasps> and it's Carol. And, uh, and, and, and right after that, uh, Ben was with, was actually at, you know, at the house at the time, keeping me company because he knew I was going to have a hard time that day. And we were going to go sit out on the back porch, which that was the time of year. We always sit out on the back porch because the peepers are going, the frogs are going crazy. You know, it's just very musical. Nature is crazy. So I, there's another button and right near this. And it's, I said, what, what this one is. And it's, it's a picture of me walking. What you see is me holding the camera, walking out to the back porch, which is exactly what I was doing the minute I'm looking at this. And you're hearing me say to Carol, oh, it's so beautiful out tonight. And it's our anniversary. It's June 4th. It's so nice. We could celebrate it out here. And it was June 4th. And I was going outside. And I thought, this is crazy. I'm getting these little, you know, you kind of want them to be little messages. And so that's what I choose to believe. But um, things like that happen a lot around here. You know, I ask for the, the grandfather clock to chime when it hasn't chimed in years. And I cry and because Carol loved to wind it. I wind it up and I said, I wish you could make this chime for me. And it starts chiming. Oh, my gosh. You know, things like that. Yeah. So I get myself the chills just now. Uh, it's just I just know he's I talk to him all the time and I really know he's around. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I love those connections so, that we that hold on to with those that we love. And then that's I mean, that really is. Yeah. That and their, uh, our memories are keeping them alive and with us. It's true. It's very true. And, uh, you know, you just, uh, some days you have good days and some days you yeah. have bad days, but that's, that's what everybody goes through. That's, that's, that's life. Yeah. Let's talk about, uh, you know, Carol was on Sesame Street for 50 years, which is an amazing achievement wow. for anybody. You know, most, most it's, people, they, they don't have is. that kind of uh, longevity in a career. And he did it. He did it all, right? True. Let alone I know. being a child for fifty <laughs> yeah. years. Uh, and and he did it all on the show. He danced. He 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 sang. He acted. He roller skated. He rode a unicycle. He yeah. operated Bruno <laughs> and Oscar at the same time. I mean, he what what couldn't he do? He could do it all. I know. Did you ever see him do Big Bird and Shivers when he sings with no. himself? No. We put that together for the, the um, symphony concerts that we used to travel mm -hmm. around to, and he wanted to do something like really spectacular. <laughs> so this song is uh, I'm Much Bigger Than You Are. I'm Much Smaller. It's true. So it's a cute song, but it's a duet. Oh. So he had came up with a penguin that sat on in his left hand, the Big Birds, of course, in his right hand, and he sang back and forth. They did it once on Sesame Street, too because they thought it was so phenomenal. And I swear to God, one time I swear, they, they said, <laughs> I don't know how he did that, but. Uh, <laughs> well, but I don't put I don't anything, put anything past, past Carol either. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you remember, Debbie? Yeah, but it's a, yeah. It's what were some yeah. of Carol's favorite things to do on Sesame Street? I mean, he did all those things and so many more. Do you remember, yeah. like, was he, did he love to do the street story things? Did he love to interact with guests? What was the kind of the thing that he was excited about when he came to work? Because there's so much to be excited about when you work yeah. on Sesame Street. Was there something, though, that he was like, oh, I get to do this today? Well, I know he was always very excited when, when uh, Marty was in. 
he just felt that he laughed a lot when Marty was mm -hmm. around. You know, he says, Oh, Marty's in today. It's going to be fun. Oh, that's you know? lovely. So that always popped up. But yeah. Um, he, I think he just, he loved the street scenes. I think the most, he really, really did. And he loved singing songs, but I think you probably know his least favorite thing was singing in a ensemble. <laughs> so right, shall we right. say, because he, he was very, um, I think he was a little, I don't know if it's intimidated, but he just found that it was a little more difficult mm -hmm. for him to go left, right. When everybody's going left, right. Cause he says, I'm always going. Right, I was just going to bring that know? up. It's, yeah. So I think Right. The, the group songs were harder for mm -hmm. him because choreography wasn't his thing. You know, he could he could dance as Big Bird just as Big mm -hmm. Bird, but ask him to dance with someone, a choreographed thing. Then all of a sudden that became intimidating. You know, I think what what that is, you know? the question I was going to ask was, what do you what was it about Carol, do you think, that allowed him to connect with uh, playing this child, Big Bird and this grumpy old man, Oscar, and just be those characters. And when I, my experience with Carol is that what he had was this ability to be in the moment. And when you're in the moment, it is, it, it feels fresh and it is happening right now. So to do something that is, that is like rigid and structured, like right, left, or uh, things like that is not as easy to do when you are a person that lives in the moment. And uh, his his reads as Big Bird, every take was different and fresh, and uh, it just felt different every time because he was, to me, living in the moment. And uh, I don't know. What do you think, Debbie? Yeah. I think that's you put that really, really well, and it does – kind of explain why the rigidness of a choreographed number or whatever was hard for him because he really, uh, you know, I, I'm, it sounds corny, but he really was Big mm -hmm. Bird. So when he's being Big Bird, that's who he is. He's not Carol being Big Bird. He's Big right. Bird, you know, and the same thing came Oscar, <laughs> like you said. And so, you know, he, he's not, he's, he's not pretending to be this. He is yeah. this. So I think that's why, you know, took it very personally. You know, I remember when um, he's, he used to tell a story about how Jim would took off Ernie once and laid him down, like not on the floor, but just down like, you know, okay, put that over there. And Jim, you know, Carol was like, Oh, Ernie, you know, sorry. he didn't mean <laughs> to put you down so hard. And Jim goes, you feel like that about your puppets? And Carol goes, of course I do. And right. Jim's like, no, they're just a tool. No, that's not, and that's not a negative thing about Jim. Mm -hmm. That's just how he saw it, you know. Um, but Carol really, you know, pickle puss in this house, mm -hmm. you know, Carol's pickle puss, he gets a place <laughs> at the table for Pete's sake. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know they're, they're, they're kind of real uh, to yeah. him. And, you know, you know Carol's nature. I mean, he, he was a boy through and through, a, a child through and through, even when he was yeah. in his 80s. Um, so that just that came really easily easy to him. He he just he loved that's to play. a brilliant part about you know? being. And I mean, to be a really good Muppet performer, I think, or performer of any kind, I think you have to be willing to play and just and just be in that be in yeah. the moment and and play and listen and just enjoy. You do, which is what I thought yeah. Carol was just so good. I at. agree. He was that. so good at it. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, over I the years, Debbie, you were on set <laughs> for so many remarkable things. Can you think of anything off the top of your head, moments that stick with you even now of, oh my gosh, I remember I was on Sesame Street when blank. Well, I, th I think the most, the one that really comes to everybody's mind as far as, you know, the greatest 
show they ever did probably uh, was Mr. Hooper's death uh, show because you know everybody was feeling the pain and and they didn't need to do another take it was it was real like you we were just talking it was in the moment it it was one real. take you know I, I, uh, I think they they did two just in case but they took wow. one because they didn't need to do two wow. that's how I remember it but it was there for that and everybody was just mm. in tears you know um it, it was it was so beautiful, and he wasn't really sure when they. And he loved Norman Styles, but when they first chose Norman to write it, Carol was like, "Oh, I hope this is going to work," because Norman's like, you know, funny off yeah. the wall kind of thing, and uh, and and but it turned out to be, you know, he went up to Norman after that and said, "That was right on. You, you couldn't have done it any better than that," mm. you know. But uh, I remember Carol. Um, one of the things that when you know, because everybody always uh, the snuffleupagus thing, where is he? You know, is he imaginary or mm -hmm. is he not? And then Carol always felt that. Remember, I think he told you that he felt they made a big mistake with doing it all in one day. Yeah. It should have been almost like the whole yeah. season. You know, first Bob sees it, then you know, and just went funny all along, right. rather than boom. He says, if you if you woke up on Friday, all of a sudden Snuffy's there. <laughs> that's right. you know, so, um, he just kind of felt like that's it. Wait a second. Um, so that was one of the things that, that kind of irked him yeah. a little bit, but, um, I guess, you know, the Mr. Hooper thing, um, he was always excited about with, with guest stars and all that kind of stuff. Well, and but, you did, you met um, so many celebrities over the years, uh, over the decades and, you know, being got, married to the guy yeah. that plays Big Bird and Oscar. Can you tell me about, uh, any of your favorites, your favorites or Carol's favorites too? Maybe some that, maybe some celebs that you kept in touch with or developed friendships with or any, anything like that? Yeah. Well, I, I'd have to say that the one that we kept the most in touch with, and we, you know, I don't know if anyone asked him, he'd always say his favorite was Waylon mm -hmm. Jennings. And we met him doing Follow That Bird. And, you know, Carol got to spend like two days in the cab of a truck <laughs> yeah. with Waylon. You know, singing ain't yeah. no road too long. Crouch, you know, they had to raise the cab of the truck so Big Bird's head didn't, you know, scrape the top. Yeah. And Waylon's smoking cigarettes, and then Carol's like, "Oh, what the hell? I'll have one too." You know, so uh, just because it was like, "What else am I going to yeah. do?" Um, but they, so we kept in touch with Waylon and his wife Jesse, and in fact, they, you know, they'd come over here, or we'd go. We've spent Christmas with them at their house, and uh, whenever he, Waylon never took um, planes after once he had that. Scare, you know, remember he was the one that was supposed to be on the plane that oh, yeah, the big bopper yeah, yeah. died on, and he had given his kid up to, uh, was it Buddy uh, Holly? Yeah. I guess it's, yeah, I think it's. Certainly. Was it, is it Big Bopper and Buddy Holly? Was, Did yeah. They, yeah. Um, I think it was. Anyway, so I, he gave up his seat for these, for the guys, and mm -hmm. they died. So um, he, he didn't fly anymore. So he always had this gorgeous big bus, you know, that you sleep on and just party on and all that kind of stuff. And so whenever he'd be around here, He'd tell us to meet him, and we'd go. And his roadie would then take our car, so we could stay in the bus with Waylon and Jesse. <laughs> and we would just—we had a ball. There was so much fun. And then every concert, he would have us sit on stage. Oh, that's him. cool. And you know, you feel yeah. so special when you're on the stage. You know, and he was much more rock and roll when he—he he was like, uh, what do they call it? Ro uh, yes, uh, outlaw rock. You know, like even much rockier in person. So we would sit there, and occasionally we'd sneak Oscar with us. You know, and and Oscar would <laughs> would appear, and Waylon loved that. So, um, so I guess he was the most fun and the one that we had the most uh, interaction with. You know, from the show. Um, you know, that's not counting. You know. Jim and Jerry and Richard. right, right. <laughs> They're yeah, stars. That's true. Uh, here's a couple of quick questions related <laughs> yeah. to Sesame Street that people sent. Uh, uh, at M. Donsky okay. asked, 
what was it like being on Sesame Street for the first time? So, Debbie, can you remember that very first time you actually walked onto the set? Yeah, I do. It, it was, yeah, it was mostly just, you know, draw jaw dropping. That's a tongue twister. Uh, experience because everybody's, of course, Carol, I'm going in with the star of the show. <laughs> and, um, you know, now I'm going to also see Big Bird in person. And as you know, because you've seen it a million, the reaction that you get, anybody gets when they first are standing next to Big Bird, it's completely mesmerizing and overwhelming. And he's so beautiful. Yeah. And you just get lost. You're just like, oh my God. You know, it's, it, yeah, I was, I was, in awe of the whole thing. And of course, Carol's introducing me as his fiance. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is, this is my life. Yeah. Did I, how did I get in this fairy tale? You know, it was just, uh, it was, it's amazing. And I, and you know what? It never wore off. I felt the same way every time I went. Yeah. I, and if I, if Carol, you know, was across the room, he always used to get upset that he didn't know I walked in the door, <laughs> you know, like he should, we should know right. we're in the same place. Yeah. And he'd, he'd look up and I'd have him standing there for maybe five minutes and he'd look up and he'd give me this great smile. And then he'd come over to me. He goes, I should have known you were here. And I was like, oh, well, <laughs> it's okay. Here you I know, am. You, you, this should be an aura around. Right, right. Here I am. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's never, it never works yeah. What was Sesame Street like in the early days? What was the atmosphere like to be on set? Oh, I have to say it was so much fun back then because you've got you got Jim and Frank and Jerry and Richard and Carol and you know there I am standing next to these guys watching them you know because that to me was the show was watching their faces while yeah. they're puppeting uh and, and of course they were hysterical I mean if only we had the outtakes because <laughs> know, that would be a show in itself because they would get crazy and occasionally off the you know, the deep end, but it was, it was, you were laughing the whole time. It was wow. so funny. And then they got the work done and they, they were all like this bunch of boys playing and Fran, you know, Fran was there too. And she's just like one of the gang as well. But um, the, to my memory is of the guys with their hands over their head and, uh, and just the silliness that would, that would come out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and, and Carol, you know, was excited to be around them too. I mean, he, he, he loved Jim since the first time he saw him, I guess would have been probably Ed Sullivan show too, yeah. you know? So I, I think for Carol, it was sort of like, wow, I'm part of this. This is just yeah, so pretty strange. amazing. What was something that you remember about Carol that instantly makes you smile? Oh, his smile. I know. Yeah. As soon as I see his eyes, well, his eyes too, but his eyes smiled too, but he would smile and it just makes me smile. I, I, I keep a picture of him smiling right where I sit most hmm. of the time and I just look up and I smile because he's smiling at me. Yeah. So I guess, I, I guess that's it. You know, he just had the best crink, you know, little twinkly eyes and a smile. Yeah. And a I lot, a lot comes through in, in, in yeah. that smile, especially he's looking at you. Yeah. He's very, his face gave a lot of expression. Yeah. yeah I know. Uh, you said this before smile. about Switzerland being probably one of your favorite vacations, but uh, you would go to Hawaii every year for, for, for a long time. Yes. What, what were those times yes. like? Yeah. What would you do well, when you went to Hawaii? Yeah. And how long would you spend there uh, at, in a go? They were idyllic. Well, first of all, let me just backtrack. Switzerland, we, that was the trip I won, yeah. remember, in the quiz show. Yeah. But that's just the, and it's the Alps that really, and the, and the architecture. But actually, we didn't 
really enjoy, other than that trip, we actually didn't enjoy Switzerland very much. We liked Germany and Austria. But, but the experience, the okay, so then, there. so then. There is a difference. Yeah. You know, the, the houses look a little different. The food is a little different. And Swiss, uh, Switzerland is much more expensive. Uh -huh. um, and also Carol was stationed in Germany in the Air Force. So he spoke, no, they speak German in all of those countries. Right. But we just, uh, we just kind of had an, a, 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 we felt we had a kinship with, with those parts of the Alps where Germany meets Austria. And that's where we always went stay in the same room, same place, same everything. But with, um, in Hawaii, we, you know, once we had that, the trip that I won, we, of course, who doesn't fall in love with Hawaii. Right. Um, and so we, we, I think the next time we went back actually was when we did uh, Sesame street for, I believe it was almost two weeks. We were on Kauai and we hadn't been there before because we had only been, the trip was on Oahu and we fell madly in love with Kauai because it's magnificently beautiful. And then once we saw that the other islands are really cool, we started island hopping. And when we hit uh, the big island, which is called Hawaii, um, we loved Kona. And so in 19, I think it was 89, we bought a house there. And it was a, like a wooden, all screens. You didn't really need windows in Hawaii. And it was one lot from the sea, but it was a vacant lot. So we could kind of look through the brush and see the sea. Wow. And it was, um, it was a lovely little neighborhood, and it had a beautiful um, uh, closed, not screened in, but overhead was, was, it was a lanai that had a roof. So Carol set up his easel, and he, brought, he went out and got paints and airbrush and the whole works, and every day he would paint on the lanai. And I took up needlepoint because I wanted to sit next to him and watch, but I, I was like, I got to do something. Yeah. So um, <laughs> just sit here yeah. and watch. But um, and then you could hear the sea, and, and the temperature was perfect, and you know, so it was very idyllic days. You know, we'd have tea in the morning, and then he'd paint in the day, and I'd sit next to him, and um, uh, then oh, you know, certain days we would just say the heck with any work, we're just going. We always picnicked, which we we did up here at home all the time, and in Hawaii we mostly we. We'd go out at later in the day. We'd find a beach. Or, and Carol was so funny. He'd always have to have – we both of us weren't good with the sun, but he, he definitely right. shouldn't be in the sun. He was so fair. But we'd put up a tarp, and he had to have garlands of flowers all around oh. the tarp. You know, he had to yeah. decorate anywhere you went. And so yeah, in the backpack, he'd have the tarp, the garlands, the, the pretty towels, for the, like rugs for the floor. And then we'd have a little barbecue and bring, you know, whatever food we were going to have and some kind of maybe some wine or some um, – you know, whatever. Yeah. And we just had the best time uh, being mm. on the beach, you know, and then we'd come home and in the back of the, the Hawaii house, there was a little, um, a little screen house kind of thing. Maybe it was 12 by 12 and it had a big hot tub in it. And we weren't really hot tub people cause we don't right. like being in hot, hot water. So we kept it like, uh -huh. like body temperature. So it yeah. felt like more like a pool. And so we'd light candles and we'd, you know, get, get in the, and it was totally private. So you didn't have to wear right. any clothes. So there we are, little kitty <laughs> dippers, you know, with the candles and, um, you know, sitting out back in the, in the jungle, it was really <sighs> like so a jungle. Cool. And we, so we spent every evening in, in that hot mm. tub and uh, just, you know, every, it was so wonderful and so lovely. We had it for like 14 years. So actually I came home, I wound up having I think he did two paintings one year. So 15 paintings came out of the having the house because each year he would do a painting wow. and they're, they're big canvases, you know, and then we'd, we'd ship them home. So, um, so that's kind of the treasures I have left over from that, you know? Yeah. Um, so those were, those were great days. Huh. And we got to meet a lot of nice people and we, uh, we even continued going back even after we 
yeah. sold the house, but yeah, um, that's just right. To see the friends and then I know that made. you also would then yeah. at Christmas time you would always go to Ireland. We go to Ireland, yeah. And luckily this year, um, of course, last year it was closed. Mm. I, the whole country right. was closed because of COVID. <laughs> but this year they are allowing people in and you know uh, travel if you're vaccinated and all that, which is good because. I'm certainly vaccinated. And um, so I'm going to go and, uh, you know, it's, 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 um, it's hard because mm-hmm. I'm going without him, but we, they're going to plant a tree in his honor. And I have already have a tree planted there for my mom in her honor. And um, I, uh, you know, so I'm going to do that. And uh, they're actually, they've asked me to make a coloring book of, Actually, of my life, I thought it was going to be like of Carol, so I could easily just go rummage through all his drawings, and I could have, in two seconds, I could have a yeah. book, you know, just take, just have the kids color all his drawings. But no, they wanted it to be about me. I'm like, what the heck? I don't even draw, <laughs> you know. So um, I got my son Ben to come and help, I, and I put it all together what I thought I wanted. So I stole a few things from Carol, like uh, I decided to call it my favorite things, and uh, like my favorite thing was being married really to Carol, but I put, cause I thought for coloring purposes, yeah. being married to Big Bird and Carol had drawn us at our, on our wedding day as Mr. And Mrs. Big Bird. <laughs> so I used that cartoon so the kids can color that. In. That's great. And then just other, you know, picnics, one of them was picnics and stuff like that. So yes, um, I'll be, I will be going and uh, putting up our tree and decorating it just like Carol would with me. Yeah. Um, and hopefully he'll be, uh, he'll be there, you know, with me over my shoulder. He'll be there. Yeah, I know we will, especially Ireland. Yeah. What a spiritual yeah. place that is. Uh, let's talk. Yeah. We talked. So we talked about Hawaii. We talked about Ireland. Let's talk about the home that you live in now. And <laughs> I've been there, and it is an amazing place. But if if you had to describe it, <laughs> it, is, it is. Yeah, if you had to describe it to somebody that had never been yeah. there, what would you say yeah. about your house and how it came to be? Uh, I yeah. Well, first of all, Carol bought the land that the house is on uh, in 1961 for two thousand dollars he got 48 acres of land which was forty dollars an <laughs> acre which God. is crazy. It is crazy but then again you've seen it now you know then it was really just very thick woods and swamps and uh no no you know no building or anything there so over all these years um it's been cleared and cleared and you know where there were thick groves of laurel and stuff you couldn't even walk through. There's now grass and the swamps. They, in the old days, they used to encourage you to um, cut down the dead trees, dig out the muck that's in a swamp, put it on the side, let the dirt drains because it's very fertile dirt. And then the water, we're, we're on a water table here. It just fills up spring fed, you know, instantly. So they become the, what was a swamp is now a pond. Then the, the year later, the dirt is all dry. You spread it around that pond, put some grass seed on and, out pops grass. Wow. So, um, you know, that's making it simple, yeah. but, and, and certainly not counting for how much that costs, <laughs> yes. but, but that's really how it evolved over the years, you know? And then the house, Carol built the first part of the house, which now it's a, it's rather big. It's like seven levels, which is crazy. Now that we got older, we were like, what were we <laughs> thinking? But, um, it's, it is all kinds of levels and it, it looks like a big chalet that we based kind of on, you know, in the Alps mm. in uh, Bavaria. Yeah. And uh, so I would say that's the style kind mm-hmm. of. Uh, and then, you know, it's just we have 13 picnic spots, like I was saying earlier. Um, Can you name some of those? Name you some know, of those the, picnic oh, spots. Oh, there's, there's um, Lover's Leap. Mm-hmm. There's Beaver Lodge. Right. There's um, uh, Cliff House. Mm-hmm. That's a gazebo and a picnic area. There's Lake House, same thing. 
uh, Perillo Palisades, which is named after my sister. Every uh, the whole place is named after everybody. You go wherever you go, it's you know, uh, it's it's a name of somebody in the family. Um, Jessica Lake, uh, that's our daughter. Uh, let's see, you know, they go. It, I could go on that's and so on cool. and on, but that's what we we hardly ever cooked in the house. We always picnicked. So we I mean cooked really nice pic, you know meals and set it up really pretty and all that. But we just love being outside. Mm. So um, it was that was really fun. So Carol's a, Carol was a caveman in a previous life, I know, because he loved building fires. <laughs> Not a pyromaniac kind of Just fire, but fires that served <laughs> a, a purpose. Nice, fire. Yeah. More with Debbie Spinney in a minute, but first, it's time for a song from Jerry Nelson. You know, on the podcast, we have featured songs on here from Jerry's album Truro Daydreams, and today is another one of those. The song is called Zanzibar, and this is a demo of that song that found its way onto the final record. So take it away, Mr. Nelson. Got our bags, our reservation, ready to follow that star. Got our shots and inspiration to travel far. Car, a plane, a taxi, taxi, plane, and a car. Gonna take us to Zanzibar. How exotic. Pleasures await us as we paddle in the lagoon Is that pirate treasure or reflections of the moon? Mystery is in the air, Africa, moon and star On the road to Zanzibar Disturb us not at all As we leave the bars to gaze at the stars Hear their song of love Bush babies all around us Join in the cosmic song Oh honey, it won't be long You know what I'm talking about Nights in the tropics, dancing the jungle beat. To hear the tide upon the shore, oh what a treat! Well, it's burned right into our memory without leaving a scar. I'll talk about Zanzibar.
grass grazing along the mangrove shore. Now we know what life is for. Thanks, Jerry. We're back with Debbie Spinney. Tell me about Carol, you know, the last few years of his life. He was diagnosed with dystonia. What is that? And what does it do to somebody? Well, we certainly had never heard of this before. Um, When about, when Carol was about 80, uh, towards towards when he was going to be 81, which is the end of the year, his, um, his left hand, the three fingers, pinky, ring, and middle, started to curl a little bit in. And they thought it was something called Dupuytren's syndrome, if I'm saying that right, which is, that looks just like that, and they can do operations to make it better. But um, then they discovered, uh, they, uh, they, they, he had all sorts of tests just to make sure it wasn't like a stroke that was affecting him, or his heart was great, his, he never had a stroke, you know, none of that. But then he went and had this particular kind of test that they do for to because actually he had a little pain on the side of his uh, head uh, on the right side, and so they were like, "Well, let's just look at the brain. We'll do a scan." So they did a scan, and they said that he had this thing called dystonia, and um, we were like, "What? Oh, what the hell is that?" And they said, "It's in the it's there's a large family of neurological conditions which are called Parkinsonisms." Parkinson's disease is in that family, but this wasn't Parkinson's disease. He didn't have tremors like people with Parkinson's. Um, but it is a neurological thing, and they said that eventually uh, it will, you know, your arm, since it's showing up in your left arm, which they were surprised because usually it shows up in your dominant hmm. arm. But his right arm never was compromised at all. So uh, it showed up in the, and the, you know, the left, then the hand started to curl a little bit, and then over time the even the elbow started to curl in a little bit, you know, so his arm was kind of like against his chest. Hmm. Um, and he really, you know, didn't really have any con- control. But, you know, the thankful thing was it wasn't painful, which it could have been because when your muscles start to do that, it can be very painful. Yeah. But luckily for him, it wasn't. So thank God. Um, but, it, it, you know, and, and we went to the doctors and there was really not much you can do. They tried a medication that they do give Parkinson's disease patients, but it didn't do him it really wasn't, it didn't make sense to give it to him because he didn't have the tremors. And also um, it made him very lethargic. And um, as it is, dystonia makes you lethargic. So you didn't need to be like getting to be zombie-like, you know? So I like, I said to the doctor, if it's not going to do him any good, why are we doing this? You know, this is crazy. And that doctor particularly said, well, you know, I think he could just live with this until, you know, he'll probably be 92 when, when it, comes to an mm-hmm. end you know we don't we don't know much about it and we thought and you know we weren't happy with that because carol was sure he was going to live to be 100 and i told him he had to um <laughs> you have no you choice must. yeah um, yeah you must um so you know we didn't really you know worry about it too much but then you know his arm got worse and worse and and then um the the worst part i think right from almost from the beginning maybe a year after that was his balance started to go because that's one of the things with, with dystonia and I guess a lot of those neurological things. So he was starting to really need somebody to make sure he didn't fall down. And he did fall down. Luckily, he had great bones because he never broke anything. But, I mean, he fell down a huge staircase and, you know, he would he would get bruised and battered and uh, because he, he didn't say, oh, I'm going to go downstairs or, you know, would you walk with me or whatever. He would, you know, he would get up and say, oh, I, I got up fine. I can walk over here fine. 
And then yeah. you think you can, but yeah. then you fall. And then I'm like, what? You know, oh, you, you, know, you, you got to call me, you know, when you need to do something that you may fall and hurt yourself. So, you know, it got to that point where he really did need to have somebody doing that. Um, luckily, it didn't, it affected his uh, mind only in the, the slowing of the process of thinking, you know, like he wasn't quick mm-hmm. on the ball, but he wasn't forgetting things or who people are or, you know, things like yeah. that. Um, which I think that that does happen. And the, the other thing with this disease, and I think it happens with all Parkinsonisms, is Carol, who had the most beautiful handwriting I have ever seen because he was very artistic. Yeah. He could calligraphy the whole thing. And, um, and, 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 of course, drawing. But his handwriting started to change. It became very teeny-weeny and almost scratchy, like if I could describe it as scratchy, like chicken scratch yeah. almost. And I was like, his, he used to be beautiful. And it was actually affecting how he could write, which I thought was so odd. And he did too. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't yet affecting the drawing. It was only towards the end, like maybe the year before, the drawing started to change. And I think that's the thing that broke my heart in many ways the most, because I knew that was the most important thing to mm-hmm. him. You know, he, he uh, graciously gave up Big Bird and Oscar, you know, because he knew he had mm-hmm. to, um, but to not draw, oh. that was the thing that he could do in his sleep. You know, it, it was, and it was his, you know, people would fall to their knees and they go, how did you do that? It was his claim to, in his mind, his claim to fame, you know, like, <laughs> oh my God. And so only at the end, I realized, oh, my goodness, he can't even, the drawing isn't, the brain wasn't getting the message to the hand. That's basically what was right. happening. You know, so it's, there's, there's a lot of disinformation out there. There's a lot of unknowns with dystonia, um, you know, and neurological things in general, basically. That, you know, there's, the brain is such a complicated thing. Because yeah. um, Carol had a very healthy body. He, he, oh, my goodness. He, you know, everything was, was like his doctor always says, oh, you're going to outlive everybody. Yeah. Everything's in perfect shape. Yeah. But then you got dystonia, and they don't know why you get dystonia. Uh-huh. So it was just, you know, I don't know. You want to say the luck of the draw? I guess that's what it was. Yeah. But it was just such a shame because he, you know, he just loved life. Yeah, he really did. And yeah. and he was a, a, yeah. an amazing example of somebody living a wonderful life, you know? He really was. Yes, he did. And I always have to tell myself that, that he had an incredibly wonderful oh. life. And he said that many times, yeah. you know, he, he's, he always, you know, he never complained even when he was sick, he, you know, he really mm. wasn't a complainer. Uh, he never, thank God he wasn't really in pain. Um, uh, you know, he, he, he made the most out of, uh, of every day. He always did. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, 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 we both knew that neither of us were never, we were always going to be there for each mm. other always. And I'll always be there for him forever, you know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's just a week, I think a week before he passed away was thanks, was, was like almost Thanksgiving. So a couple of days before that. Um, and he wasn't really in great shape, but, you know, he was very tired and, but he had a great Thanksgiving. He ate a humongous plate of food <laughs> and I was like really so happy. And, and he just, you know, he looked at me, he goes, I think I really am going to live to be about a hundred. And this is like, you know, he's really not doing too good. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, if anybody can do it. He certainly can, um, you know, it just, it, it wasn't meant to be, yeah. but, um, you know, so. Well, I, I hope you know this, you know, Debbie, that Carol was so lucky to have you so lucky. And that oh. I, I know is, is hard, you know, taking care of somebody, your, your somebody, your person, taking care of them yeah. like you did and being there for every moment. I am so oh. grateful 
and I know Carol is to you for being there for him. You know, I wouldn't, I, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. And gosh, if I could, if I would, if I wish I I wish it was me who had it just because I, I felt so bad that here's this incredible human being who has to have this happen. But you know, we know we, none of us know what's going to, you know, what's yeah. going to come along. And, um, you know, we've lost our pain. You've, yeah. you know, you lost your dad. I lost my dad. You know, we, you just, people, you lose them yeah. as it goes. And now they're getting older. Yeah. Losing you more. Lose people that are you know? closer to um, you, you, you know, that are, that are friends that are, uh, yeah. you, it's, it becomes more of a reality that that is life. Life is losing things that you love and figuring out how to move on beyond that. And, and to me, keeping that person alive through their memory and my memory or through my memory of them. Definitely. Yes. I believe, I believe that's true too. They are, they do stay alive as long as you know them, remember them and love them. You know, that's, it's still there. I feel, I feel the same way today as I did almost, it's almost two years ago now, you know, it was, what was it? Today's the 20th. So two days ago was the three year anniversary of Carol's retirement on the last day he taped the 50th yeah. season and we did the retirement yeah. party for him. So that was three years oh ago. Gosh. And then coming up, you know, December 8th, it'll be two years, uh, you know, that he's gone. Mm. And uh, uh, yeah, I, it, that's unbelievable. Cause it just doesn't, it, yeah, it, sometimes it seems like forever, but mm-hmm. honestly I, I had the other day, as a matter of fact, um, you know, when I, uh, I came back from being away with my cousin and, the, we always did the same thing every year. Every, after we played bingo, she'd go play cards and I'd go call Carol and tell him <laughs> how I did. So I'm walking away from her and she goes, I'm going for cards. And I said, I'm going to call oh. Carol. And I really thought I was going to call Carol because that's my yeah. what I do. And I walked like a couple of steps and I, oh, that just did me in because I was like, oh my God, I, I, I can't call him. I just, lo- I ran to the room and I, I lost it for about a half an hour but because yeah. I forgot. And I it was that moment of pure happiness that I was going to go call Carol, yeah. you know, and I, and you know, those, those moments are, are really uh, yeah, rare, I think you know? maybe that's Nowadays. part of our coping with somebody that we love no longer being here is we can almost feel like, Oh, they're, they're, they're at home while I'm away or they're away while I'm at home. And you kind of can yes. fool yourself yes. in a way to believe that they're, that they're still it with you. Hit. Right. And yeah. then it hits you in those moments. Yes. Oh, you do do that. It's, it's it's very easy to do. And maybe because, you know, people like you or me, we, you know, we, we travel a mm-hmm. lot actually. And so you're gone and you think, Oh, they're over there. Right. You know, they're, they're just not right here with me. They're back there, yeah. you know? And then you go home and it's like, Oh yeah. Then it <laughs> okay. hits you again. No, I was the wrong. reality hits you. Uh, yeah. So you can fool yourself very easily. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh, okay. Debbie, I'm going to, now I had, I did this. I've not done this before on this podcast, but I asked people on the internet to, to send along questions okay. and they did, they sent along a lot and I, I'm okay. not, I can't possibly get to all of them, but I'm going to try to get to some of them. First of all, a lot of fans passed along love for both of you and saying that they, they love you guys oh. and they miss Carol, which we all do. And then here are some questions oh. for you. Patricia okay. Miranda asks, have you kept in touch with uh, Xiao Fu from Big Bird in China? Yes, I have. As a matter of fact, um, I, it, it's been a couple of months now, um, but I, I do email her and she emails me and she's very successful uh, in banking in uh, uh, China and mostly Beijing, I think. And she goes to Hong Kong a lot. Um, she, she always says how she's still looking for her, her Carol because mm. she's never found a love yet. And she's, you know, she's, I guess she's in her forties now. Um, but she, um, she has such, 
those the days of Big Bird in China are her happiest childhood memories. So we talk about that a lot. That's lovely. So, yeah, That's nice. She's a lovely girl. I'm hoping she gets to come and visit. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, Jaden LeBron asks, yeah. uh, "What do some of your hobbies consist of, and how do you stay active in this day oh. and age? What do you do?" <laughs> Active as a word. Um, okay, my hobbies. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, I still occasionally needlepoint because I do find that relaxing. Um, but I mean, I'm gonna. I am traveling, so I suppose sure. we could say yeah. traveling is a hobby. Uh, you know, really, what I spend my days doing mostly are, is sorting, uh, going through files and files and cabinets of mm. wonderful things, drawings and letters and fan mail and. Uh, scripts because I'm trying to put together um, this might be I maybe this is a question that's going to come up but I want to um, uh, put together a I'm not sure what to call it a hmm. library a museum an exhibition of Carol Spinney the life and times of Carol Spinney yeah. kind of and I have uh, an interesting uh, place which is here in our town of Woodstock the they have a private academy uh, it's, it's Woodstock Academy. All the kids go there and some from even uh, surrounding towns. It's very high, highly thought of, very good reputation. They, this particular building, uh, the, the school the school was built in 1801. So it has a big history um, and they have a beautiful new library, which has lots of big space and wall space. And they want me to use that as the Carol Spinney wow. library. That will be say. very cool. And so I'm going to have... Yeah, it's going to have his puppets and it's going to have oh. his drawing board and lots of posters and pictures and scripts and Emmy. And, you know, I'm going to, I just, it's, it's just in the beginning stage. So that's going to be uh, a tribute to Carol that after a year there, they're thinking that maybe it'll even travel to that different schools. That would be great. Schools. What a great um, piece you know, of uh, to, history that would be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things I'm doing, uh, answering that question. That hobby is looking through stuff to pull out what's important. What would mm-hmm. people want to see? What would be good? You know, I mean, I'm a little, you know, I, I also have to make sure there's good security because oh, I right. don't want, yes. you know, things to disappear. Of course not. But, I mean, it is, it's a very, um, it, they have a lot of security. They have a lot of foreign exchange students come to this school. So they just have a lot of security just for the yeah. kids even. Uh, so, I, so that's like my my big hobby right now is getting that thing That together. sounds like a lot. So. I'll let everybody yeah. know when it's when it's up and running. Maybe one day it'll become yeah. a, there'll be a companion book to go with it that has Carol's artwork and and, be, and even pictures of the puppets well, and that, things. That, and it would be really cool. That would be great. That would be really great. And that's another thing I'm I am working on is, and Carol's actually wanted to do this. You know, when he was still with us, uh, first we we separated his artwork into Christmas mm-hmm. and non Christmas, and we've because everybody's always said they love his Christmas cards that he does and. I'm, I've already found a drawing of oh. his that I'm using this year, blah, blah, blah. You know, Yay. it's always going to be a Carol drawing. And there's plenty of them <laughs> that nobody's seen. Um, but we always thought a, a coffee table yeah. Christmas card book of Carol's film. And I have proposed the idea. It's not been, you know, picked up. I go first to Sesame Street mm-hmm. because they own the characters and all that. But they were having a little uh, no, COVID no. didn't help because nobody yeah. was doing anything. But, um, so I'm trying to follow up with that. And if they don't think they can do it, then I would like to be able to find somebody who would be interested. And then, of course, as you know, he he has art that is is loads of art that isn't Christmassy. Yeah. So even a book of Carol's art otherwise. I think it's a know, lovely idea. Would, and, and that's one thing that Carol never got in his life that he always wanted. The one thing, and that is to be recognized as an artist, like really recognized. And I want to make that happen for him. You know, he, uh, I just, 
he's that it's that good. You know, it's not just because we love him that we think he's good. He's really he's, good. Yeah, he's just good. So <laughs> I, I just want to, he's yeah, just, good, just yeah. good. So I want his art to be out there. That's you know? great. So that's my, that's my other hobby. Mm-hmm. Well, good luck <laughs> so, to on both of those. Yeah. Uh, here's another question for you. Oh, At Starman's you. art asks, do you have any favorite memory from the set of follow that bird? Oh gosh. We loved doing follow that bird. That was just so, Every, everything about it was wonderful from the fact that from, from my point of view, the director, Ken Quapis, who was new to Muppets, um, he said to me when he came and visited Carol and, and me at the house here, uh, and he you know, got the feel of what, who we were and all that stuff. He said, I want you to know that I'd like you to sit next to me whenever we're, whatever shot, you know, whatever we're shooting. And I want you to tell me what you think. And if you think Carol would want it different. Now, no director says that to no. the wife of the star. Like, oh, tell me That's if you right. don't like what I'm doing, you know. And um, but he said, no, I think you, you'll know if I did this, if this is right, because I never mm. did this before. So he was so giving and so wonderful. I hardly had to say anything because he knew exactly what he was doing. But occasionally he'd say, do you think Carol would have liked it to from this angle instead? Mm. And I'd say, you know, Big Bird does that is a better angle for him because I know what Carol would yeah. say. You know, so, and at the end of the movie, he gave me a credit, special assistant, Debbie ah. Spinney. So that was my big claim to fame. Like, oh my God, I got a credit. But he was so giving and so understanding that that was, for me, uh, the first time I was like treated as part of the, the team. You know what I mean? Like, not just Carol's right. wife, but like, I, like I, you know what you're doing kind of thing. So that was very flattering and really nice. But I loved when they were doing um, the song, um, One Little Star and Big Bird's Up in the Hay in the, on the barn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's, a, it's kind of a duet with Olivia and big bird. And it's a beautiful song yeah. underneath that. At the same time that that's happening at two o'clock in the morning, which I don't know how Carol ever stayed awake. Cause it was a long, long day. A cow was giving birth to a calf right underneath that. <laughs> and it was a, like a breech birth. So they had to reach in and turn oh the baby. Gosh. And then the calf came out. And as soon as it came out, of course, it's always covered with, you know, yucky stuff. And um, the flies, a zillion flies covered this cow. It looked, this calf. it looked black, you know, it looked like it was, it, it just looked like a black calf. And <laughs> to me, that stands out in my mind. And they named the cow <laughs> Big Bird. But, uh, <laughs> but that moment just stands out in my mind uh-huh. because here's this beautiful music wafting above our head. And here's this guy, this cow going, oh, you know, just that like, is so funny. Trying to give birth. So that was kind of a, a standout moment. But um love loved doing that movie. It was just the music was so much fun. Every the whole cast would sing Easy Going Day like out loud uh, down the street. We were all just singing those songs were it fantastic. Was, uh, great, great music so, in that. Plus we had fun in Toronto yeah. too. Lisa Soares, you're, it's, yes. uh, she said your little roadie Putnam frame shop friend sends her love. Oh, and okay. She, Hi, Lisa. And she was asking <laughs> yes. about the extra stuff from I Am Big Bird. I think there's, there was something out there about releasing the spinny cut uh, of, of I Am Big Bird. Oh, I think because I think that a lot of people had asked if there could be more home movies in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like in the special features yeah. part. Um, and I'm certainly happy to do that. I mean, I have such good stuff because I took I took movies of everything, you know. I mean, really, it's it's ridiculous. But um, they, I don't know that they're gonna put that out. I mean, I, if I was more computer savvy, that maybe maybe Matt, you'll help me. Um, I could do things where you where I put out home movies. I mean, you know, I even have a making of a Muppet Family Christmas wow. that I took. That is the making. 
you know, of all the guys doing it. And it's the, it is the making of that show. And that, that was one of the favorite shows we ever did uh, that show. Yeah. And um, I just love that I taped the background. I know. You yeah. Know? You get so uh, yeah, I got a little stuff that could be seen. That's amazing. So yeah, I, I don't know if it's going to be, uh, you know, in, uh, affiliated with, I am big bird, but it would be nice to have it out it would there. Be. I agree. Yeah. From Charles underscore Tucker 790 says, uh, what's your best favorite moment with Carol, Jim Henson, <laughs> and the rest of the puppeteers? Was there like a, a moment that you can think of? Oh, God. And Jim. Uh, well, I uh, I mean, I just love, you know, I've, I've already touched on, I guess, you know, just being on set and watching them all work. It's just so much fun and hysterical and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, going traveling with everybody and doing stuff like when we did the Muppet show, that was kind of, you know, unique. And then that stood out uh, as compared to a lot of other mm -hmm. things. And, uh, you know, we went out to crazy places in London and we went gambling with Jim and the Ritz and, you know, stuff like that. Um, so those, those are the, those are kind of the, the fun stuff, yeah. you know, going, going to the movies to see the princess bride. And uh, Jim's on one side, Carol's on another. And I'm in the middle. I'm like, this is so cool. <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. Just silly stuff, you know? Um, yeah. So I guess, I guess those kind of things do stand out, but there's a zillion of them. So it's hard to, to really pick one out. Yeah. Really. Uh, James Nobes asks, and it says, did, did you have a favorite character that Carol played that was not used frequently? So I guess not Big Bird and Oscar. Oh, okay. Well, I, I honestly, I did love Bruno. I think he's fantastic. Yeah. I love the illusion it's a of great Bruno. illusion. And you know, the, the uh, he's fabulous. And I, uh, the story, you know, the, first of all, the fact that Carol designed him and invented him, <laughs> shall we say, that Carol was always very yeah. proud of that. You know, like he, he actually had a monkey yeah, he yes. created. You know, and really he was created for the, the symphony concert show because we could not get, how do you get Carol out on the stage with Oscar without the kids hmm. seeing the man? You know, so that came to Carol and said, this is going to be great. And then, of course, he puts <laughs> roller skates on him and we're all having a heart attack in the audience going, he's going <laughs> to fall off the stage because there's right. no monitor. You know, you can't see a darn thing. So, um, yeah, I would say I love Bruno. I, I just, I think he's just such a great character and i love the illusion of it it just works, it does. works I, really yeah, well he would be cool to see again so bruno, bruno great great choice yeah he i would. wish i could there were so many questions yeah. debbie but i i just we don't have time but but they're all great questions and i wish i could okay. maybe sometime we'll revisit those <laughs> because right now we have to do some rapid fire okay. questions oh now, okay i'm gonna do this a little different uh -huh. i'm gonna do it okay. two different ways debbie so first i'm gonna ask you some questions yeah. that that are from your perspective of carol's work Okay, so answer these questions. Okay. Here we go. Seeing the world through Carol's eyes, okay. what was the hardest part for him about being a puppeteer? Uh, uh, I would say um, the the uh, the group the group effort uh, musical numbers. Yep. Those the were the hardest, right? So then, for Carol, what was the easiest yeah. part of puppeteering? Oh, uh, just the the just letting it be, just being who the character yeah. is. What was Carol's biggest, well, that's probably his biggest strength as a puppeteer. What do you think his biggest strength as a puppeteer was? I mean, I, well, yeah, I mean, I, I do love his voices. You know, I think he was, I think his, to me, I think they were such 
recognizable, strong voices. But that that also came kind of natural because if you're just sitting with Carol, sooner or later, if he's excited, <laughs> Big Bird comes out, and if he's a little upset, Oscar That's comes right. out. So it's just there once again. It's just yeah, you know. <laughs> what was yeah. one of Carol's favorite things about being a Muppet performer? Um, he loved. I just think he 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 loved being able to s- step into the the being the soul of somebody else and completely be enveloped by this and just escape being really escape being Carol Spinney and be somebody else who they're not being bullied. They're not, you know, none of that stuff yeah. that happened to him when he was little, he became these wonderful yeah. characters. All right now for you, Debbie, these questions are especially for you to answer mm-hmm. for from your point of view. <laughs> what was the easiest part about being married to Carol Spinney? That's easy. He knew how to love me better than I've ever heard anybody knows how to love anybody. So I was loved so well. What was the most difficult part? Well, (laughs) that would be not having him here anymore because I miss every minute of every day. What, uh, what's one of your favorite things about being around Muppet performers for so much of your life with Carol and with Jim and Jerry and Richard and, I just think that we we all feel like true family to each other, mm. not just friends, but it feels more like a family. And I know the love is there, the humor is there, the the you know the the camaraderie. If you need a shoulder to cry on, it's there. Uh, it's it's truly a bunch of people who have so much in common and who truly love each other. Mm. And finally, that's great. And finally, Jerry Nelson once said to me, Sesame Street's great, but you always have to have something that is your own that you create. So your own thing. (laughs) What is that for you, Debbie Spinney? Your own thing. What is that for me? I I don't, I don't, that's a hard question for me because really I've, I just feel like my whole life was, Carol was my own thing, and that's the truth. Yeah. So I'm I'm kind of looking for it now, I suppose, because I didn't. Ne- I never had. My, I mean, my family is very important to me, always has been. And Carol, they're you know our kids and my brothers and sisters. They're our best mm-hmm. friends. So that's the most important thing to me, other than you know the, the you know the legacy that I'm trying to work up for for Carol and, and stuff like that. But just family, and um, I still want to travel. Uh, and try to just, um, I don't know. That's a hard one I, because I, I don't think of myself well, as the center. I think of Carol I understand as the that. center. Now all of a yeah. sudden I'm the center. And I, don't I, really I, like I hear that. you, but I, I do have a suggestion for you and something that you could do that's just for you. Okay. Take up the violin. <laughs> <laughs> Why not, right? <laughs> I like that. Debbie, thank you so <laughs> much for talking All with right. me. I appreciate it and I love you. I love you too, Matt, so much. Say hi to everybody for me, okay? I will do. Okay. Bye, everyone. Ah, I just love Debbie Spinney. She's the best. Uh, and that is it. That is Below the Frame. We will be back next week with my talk with Star Wars and Muppet performer Mike Quinn. You can get updates and stuff about Below the Frame and Muppets and Sesame Street and everything else that I feel like posting on my Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok accounts at WelcomeMattV or just search my name. 
Below the Frame is produced by me, Matt Vogel. And if you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. Thank you very much in advance. The theme song for Below the Frame was written by Stephanie DeBruzzo and performed by my band, The Mighty Weaklings. Our podcast logo was created by Dave Holtine at DaveHoltineDesign.com. Special thanks to Dave Golds for sharing his Jerry story today. And thanks to you, the fans, for listening. I am Matt Vogel. We will see you next time when we go Below the Frame. Bye. Go, 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 below the frame.